0: And so, you know, when I see the markets pricing things completely out of whack in terms of uh, companies in the U.S. relative to other places, you know, I get a little excited. I think this
1: is adding to my thesis as well. So, welcome to the Gold Exchange podcast, where we untangle market and policy complexity using timeless economic principles. For show notes and archives, go to goldexchangepodcast.com. Now, on to today's episode.
2: Welcome back to the Gold Exchange Podcast. My name is Benjamin Vern Adelstein. I'm joined as always by founder and CEO of Monetary Metals, Keith Weiner. Our guest today is Tavi Costa, partner and portfolio manager at Crescat Capital. Tavi, how are you doing?
0: Good. How's it going, guys?
2: Good. I am on the East Coast. Keith is in London and Tavi is in Colorado. So we've got pretty much everyone everywhere. We've got an eyes on the market. Tavi, I want to start with you. We've seen not a huge blow up in the markets yet, as many analysts have predicted. I just want your big macro overview. Why are things seemingly so calm at the moment?
0: Yeah, I'm guessing you're talking about the overall equity market. Um, well, look, it's it's surprising me as well. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I think we've got all the signals to be concerned and not be aggressively buying this market. I think um, we've had in the past bear market rallies. Um I believe some people are confusing this as as the beginning of a bull market. It could be. Uh, would I take the risk? I'm not my not my analysis. I I think markets are excessively expensive in many multiples. Um, the history shows that when you know the only two decades you want to be concerned about allocating capital in, in the stock market really are during inflationary times or during times when you do have excessive valuations, and you have both this, this time. For the first time in history, uh, every time we've had an inflationary environment, the market was cheap. Every time we had an, uh, an expensive market, we actually had a more of a deflationary environment. And so interestingly, now we have both today. Um, Inflation is decelerating and, and so forth. However, still structurally appears to me, at least, uh, that we're entering a different regime. And so there's a compression of multiples that happens when you when you have those periods. And I think we're yet to see that. Um, and, and one main reason is the cost of capital. You, you can see NASDAQ completely diverging from 10-year yields, completely diverging from even corporate bond yields, which is literally what you pay for, uh, for issuing in debt. Um, we've got a, a problem with the treasury market, in my opinion. Which has been right now recently, not. Um, you now we've had a big move in 10 year yields, and now they are kind of uh, moving the other way recently. But I don't think this problem is going away. I mean, the deficits are insanely high, um, between deficits, not only fiscal, but current uh, the current account overall as well. And so, you know, I just can't imagine if the Fed comes in and says, yes, you know, we're going to be buying those treasuries and. And, um, you know, and, and, and making new liquidity in the market. And yeah, and then I think, I think that's a potential where the equity markets um, could perform well. It's not my type of investment. I'm not interested in that. I am interested in, you know, really cheap things that have been unloved for a long time that I believe strongly could be at the very early stages of, of a bull market. And so to me, that's a much more attractive way to deploy capital.
2: Keith, I want to let you jump in here. So water doesn't seem too choppy. Are you interested in dipping a toe in? And what should people be looking out for?
3: That segues into uh what I wanted to add to what, what Tavi said, which is um, you know, economists speak of, of lags. You know, they say leads and lags, but um usually it's lags. You I mean, you have monetary policy hiking interest rates dramatically. Um, and then you know, there's a delay before. Uh, you know, reality setting, kind of like Wiley Coyote, you know, runs off the edge of the cliff. And until he looks down, you know, it's fine. And then the moment he looks down, then he begins to fall. Uh, so kind of this mind over matter thing. I think w- why that happens, you know, you look at employment, which, you know, there's been layoffs, but not this huge, massive wave of layoffs that a lot of people have expected. And I think it's because the Fed has, um, you know, burned every every company that, and passed, little blips that we've had over the last 15 years um every time any company laid off the fed forced them to regret it uh, that you know and then they were trying to rehire people back at you know big raises compared to where they laid them off at and so you know businesses are extremely reluctant to do that or cut any other kind of costs where there's you know there's a cost then to try to reverse your reversal uh same thing with investors you know why is every uh, every show, like, including ours, asking the question, is it time to dip their toes in the water? You know The, the Fed has uh, trained everybody well, Pavlov's dogs. And this one is different because the cost of interest, the cost of money has gone up so dramatically. And the Fed is you know, continuing to signal, and hey, maybe we're going to pause here for a bit, but there's no talk of backing it down. And meanwhile, real damage is being done as companies find they can't afford their cost of capital there's real rollover problems. you know. I think one earlier indication is going to be commercial real estate. They're starting to be, I remember the term jingle mail back in 2008, where um, you know people would mail their keys back to the banks for, for residential real estate. That's happening now with big uh, commercial developers. Um, so we'll see, but um, no, I wouldn't be a buyer, buyer of equities here. And I think uh, to Tavi's point about, you want to buy something that's been unloved so deeply and so long, surely, that has to describe mining equities, <laughs> if it describes anything. um, oh, my God. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right. So let's talk about commercial real estate. You briefly brought it up, Keith. So a lot of people are looking at commercial real estate nightmare. So is that an imminent issue, or do you think maybe rates will be lowered before that bomb drops? Or do you think that there's Actually, something entirely different going on, and everyone's actually missing the big picture when it comes to commercial real estate. Tavi, I'll start with you.
0: Oh, with me? <clears throat> oh, well, I'm not a, a huge expert of the commercial real estate market. I think um, I can speak for Denver. Surprisingly, the market here is really hot still in terms of commercial real estate. Um, I think there are other parts of the U.S. certainly that you can see that there are concerns. I mean, I'm concerned more about mortgage rates, to be quite honest on the residential side. I mean, I've seen that line just spiking up. It's just hard to believe it's not going to impact, you know, consumers in, in general, in terms of their purchasing power and and not eating into uh their wages and salaries and so forth. I'm quite concerned about that. I think it's a it's a big question. Um you know in terms of commercial real estate, I think I think could potentially be a problem. Um I think um, one part of the market that perhaps I've done more analysis that it it could be even more concerning, in my opinion, is the private equity side of it. I, you know, very clearly, you know, look at private equity companies, the way they're valuing their businesses. It is, it is sketchy (laughs) and, uh, you know, valuations being very frothy, you know, especially relative to, you know, software companies that haven't really come back. Uh, since 2021 and, and that peak of the market, uh, you know, the, the types of uh, ARK investments, uh, types of, uh, of, of companies, meaning companies that don't make a lot of money or make no money, really, um, all those types of businesses are still value at very frothy um, you know prices in in inside of those balance sheets of those private equity uh funds and 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 firms in general and so I am very concerned about that because I think there's um you know people starting to catch on to that number one um you know if the market really you know does show more issues uh, than what we've seen in the last uh call of five months or so I think that that could potentially become a bigger a bigger question um and so uh, you know, we've got shorts and private equity firms. Uh, they do hold some commercial real estate as well. Um, you know, a lot of those need to be uh, priced a lot lower as well. Um, and so, you know, that that is my kind of, uh, you know, I, I, I thought about what, what happened with the banks in the US and the US banks and so forth. And, you know, to me, this was really a collateral issue where, you know, collateral price or treasury markets, um, you know, really struggled in 2022. And, Uh, And with the collateral price falling, and it certainly created uh, other implications in their businesses. And that's really, to me, what what caused most of the problem. And so, you know, if the same happens with private equity and others, uh, I think there's a a potential for that. And, and, you know, the, the whole venture capital model across technology companies, you know, has been kind of revamped in the last three, four months um, you know, I wouldn't be getting into that business at all if it was myself. But um, I think, you know, structurally higher rates and you've got, um, you know, even the risk of valuation in an entire sector that I, I, I think it's extremely expensive. Um, you know, it's just hard to justify really uh, buying into a market where the earnings and the fundamental growth is not probably going to be, um, you know, justifying those those very high multiples. So I actually think private equity, in general, it looks very risky, in my opinion. So, Keith,
2: maybe let's talk about the way that SVB went down and used private equity and that commercial real estate nightmare as maybe their, uh, their sword hanging overhead.
1: I
3: was just thinking, as um, I was listening to what Tavi was saying, there was a term, I think it was John Kenneth Galbraith, of all people, whom I wouldn't necessarily be citing for, for other things, coined the term the bezel. Uh, which you know the root of embezzlement, um, to to basically refer to when you know or the difference between in an economy um, the valuation of things versus what they're really worth, and um, I think you know what he what what Volbreth would say in response to what Tavi said is that there's right now a big difference in certain sectors, particularly between the valuation let's think, being held on uh, PE firms. Balance sheets versus what maybe the sorry reality is, and the bigger the bigger the bezel becomes, the more dangerous it is. Of course, the higher interest rates go, but if you just use a discounted uh, you know cash flow type model for net present value, um, the higher the interest rate goes, the higher the discount factor needs to be, and therefore the less future earnings are worth in the present, um, and therefore the more valuation has to come down, and since it hasn't you know, the wider the, uh, the bezels become. I think ultimately the Fed's gonna be forced to, to reverse just for that reason. Valuations got so high, all the, you know, those high valuations were levered with debt. And now if um, valuations come down, the debt can't be supported anymore. That is going to be a true calamity when it finally hits. I think the Fed is not gonna, you know, wanna just stand there and let that happen on their watch. Of course, they're the ones who created it in the first place. And then they're gonna um, in my in my uh, view, then they're gonna fix that by you know lowering interest rates to get the valuations back to where that is supportable, which of course then further you know the Austrian uh, term of you know malinvestment. It is further the malinvestment. And whether you look at uh, you know PE, whether you look at CRE, um you know, monetary metals. We have our office in a uh, spaces by Regis, which is uh, More hip competitor, uh, you know, we just pretty stodgy. You know, that was their answer to uh, WeWork. That's in a giant, um, uh, you know, corporate, uh, uh, you know, building in Scottsdale. And, um, you know, you look around and uh, parking lots empty. Most of the offices are dark. Most of the offices are still being rented by, uh, you know, big firms that haven't figured out what they're going to do yet with their, uh, you know, footprints, but the workers aren't coming to the office. At some point, and this is is where lags come in, at some point, they start to say, you know what, we're going to, we reduce footprint. And it wouldn't surprise me if every corporate employer in the U.S. kept their footprint by 50% as a starting point. That wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. What does that do to all the commercial real estate developers? Um, You know, the ones that have debt are all all stuffed, as I would say here in the U.K. Um, And how many of them don't have big debt? Because the valuations were so high, because of you know the bezel, at uh, all at all uh, you know feeds on itself.
2: So Tavi, now looking at maybe safe haven assets, people say I'm not looking at private equity. I'm not looking at commercial real estate. Maybe I don't want to be dipping into the stock market at the moment. So people look to quote safe haven assets. Obviously, gold being one of those top safe haven assets. You've said recently today, gold the metal is likely to serve as an escape valve for those seeking the ultimate form of protection during times of debt and monetary crisis. So first, do you still believe that sentiment? Or are we going to see the end of gold's status as a safe haven asset? Or maybe as Tyler Cowen recently wrote, uh, that gold is no longer a good hedge against bad times. And he also, of course, implied it has no yield. Tyler Cowen has an open invite to the Gold Exchange podcast to discuss uh, but Tavi, let's start with you. Do do you think that gold's safe haven status is here to stay, or there actually might be some other asset that people should be looking for in these current times?
0: Well, not only here to stay, but really about to reemerge as as a popular haven asset. I think some people acknowledge it, but uh, the skepticism towards the metal uh, in a day like today, with so many macro drivers supporting the thesis behind precious metals in general it is sort of surprising. I mean, in the 90s, we did see something similar back in the late 90s, but gold was down 70% in the last 20 years. And so if you look back from the 80s at the peak all the way to late 1999, gold was down 70%. Internet was was the new thing and, and a lot of technology companies were surging at that time. I mean, can you imagine the similarities with the level of skepticism and you know this euphoria towards technology companies? It's very similar. And you know, I can hear from from today the the voices at that time uh, speaking about the the issues with with the metal itself and the fact that it had underperformed for the last twenty years or so. Many other asset classes. Today, it, it hasn't really underperformed a lot. I mean, it's, it's actually outperformed a lot of things. Uh, in fact, it's one of the few things today across the globe that is about to make new highs. And so, no, if you ask me, I think this is, to me, this is a real interesting market to uh, to be deploying capital because it's the first time I've seen you know, gold about to break through its prior highs and you know, when it breaks through a a triple top formation, it is not a, you know, a small move. Usually you see a a surging prices, you know, adding whatever that is, you know, it could be a 15, 20% type of movement to the upside above the prior high. And then if that's the case, you know, it could surprise a lot of people. Um, And, you know, with that level of potential, technically speaking and macro speaking, and then you look at fundamentally across most of the mining companies, and they're still trading at, you know, historically low multiples. So, you know, one of those is wrong. And I, I don't think gold is wrong. I think gold is right. And I think the whole industry and the entire space is sort of waiting to see the, you know, the end of this of this development in the gold price. And if we do see a breakout, um, I think that we're going to see an influx of capital in into the overall industry. Um, you know, I, I think for a lot of reasons. And so that excites me a lot more than buying a technology company trading for, you know, like even NVIDIA, which is a clear uh, benef- benefiter of this this AI, uh, you know, uh, euphoria, uh, trading a 45 times free cash flow estimates of two years from now, 45 and so, you know, I mean, it's just ridiculous when you have Brazilian stocks today trading at, you know, the banks trading at three, four times earnings, um, most profitable businesses in terms of banks in the world, um, you know, historically cheap. They have never been cheaper. Um, it's a no brainer to me in terms of a relative value. And, and it's all linked to this idea of commodities and gold cycle, because once you get a gold cycle going, you know, look at the price of copper and gold. You know, yes, there's a cyclicality towards copper and other things, but gold essentially, you know, will you can say one drive the other, but essentially they're interconnected. So if you are calling for a gold cycle, most likely you're going to get a copper cycle too. You're probably going to get an agricultural commodity cycle as well. Look at the price of agricultural or soft commodities versus gold. It's the same chart essentially over the last you know 20 years or so or 30 years. Um, and so. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of it's not you know it's a doom and gloom in terms of a lot of the equity markets and the people that are focusing this thing that has just done I don't see the the value of it but um, but it's the level of opportunities today is is really um, you know one of the best I've seen in in, in history. I mean it's a, as asymmetric as it can as it can be um, with an incredible tailwind and support of a lot of macro, uh, important drivers that will likely unleash this all these uh, trends in the next uh, you know five to 10 years.
2: So, Tavi, I want to talk about emerging markets for a second, uh, maybe Brazil, Argentina, Peru, for starters. A lot of people say, look, I'm never investing in Latin America. Um, the region as a whole is completely uninvestable. First of all, what do you say to those people? And what are maybe some of the difference between some of the countries, let's say, Brazil, Argentina, and Peru?
0: Well, I would start with the fact that everything has a price. Um, you know, saying not investing on something is, you know, it, it's uh, you know, I think there's very few things I would I would actually say that. Um, <clears throat> but um, you know, outside of that, I mean I, I'm not sure. I think I think historically I think you want to understand first what's the usual patterns of those markets that tend to really um, uh, support those, those economies. And, you know, the South America is incredibly unexplored, uh, resource wise, a place like Brazil is, is, you know, potentially more developed than other South American economies. Um, but, uh, you know, also very unexplored. And so Brazil interests me overall. Like, I think, I think, you can make a case for the banks. You can make a case for a lot of different industries in the in the, in the overall economy that will potentially do very well. Commodity businesses across many different uh, types of commodities, from oil, uh, steel producers, and you know, uh, mining companies, and so forth. Now, you know, we have recently acquired an asset in Bolivia, uh, which is one of the largest. Um, you know uh, zinc and silver mines in 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 the world and you know it's just a an attractive valuation I mean it's it's basically trading for you know essentially one-time free cash flow free cash flow um and so it's it's you know I don't think we can find a lot of those things I mean it, yeah you could be wrong if they can you know, take over your your business at some point and, and government you know become, more authoritarian like we've seen in other times, even in Bolivia or other times in Peru and so forth. Uh, But those things, they tend to happen during times when you're seeing a desperate environment in the commodity space. I mean, what happened in Venezuela was really uh, magnified by the fact that oil prices are collapsing in 2014, 2015, and 2016. And that period was very difficult. It allowed you know, the situation in Venezuela to worsen significantly. I don't think this is going to be the case here. I think this is very similar to the early 2000s, um, but South America strategically will play a much bigger role than even played back then, because I think that's going to be a place where a lot of developed economies will form partnerships with uh, South American companies to really, you know, have source of, of their resources that they need to, um, to go through a manufacturing infrastructure uh, kind of uh, period where, you know, similar to what China did in the early 2000s, but this time it's going to happen across most G7 economies. And so we're going to need stuff. We're going to need commodities. And I think South America is going to play a, a big role there. So like I said, everything has a price. If things get expensive in South America, the political risk is there. So, you, you know, you, you have to uh, be mindful of that. Um, but today things are extremely cheap and um some of them are essentially uh being given away. Uh and so, you know, I think I think it's a, you know, I wouldn't bet the farm and put everything in it, but you know, it's something should be a a a part of someone's portfolio in my opinion. And, and that's certainly a part of my personal and in clients' portfolio as well.
2: Keith, I want to send it your way. I like that idea a lot. Listen, nothing is uninvestable, it's just at what price. Uh, Maybe you can talk about some of the pros and cons about emerging markets, what you see, maybe even regarding currencies and these kind of countries that are currently on the margin, maybe attempting to de-dollarize, how that's been going, specifically Argentina. We discussed that, of course.
3: Yeah, um, I'm not sure what I can add to the de-dollarization debate. Um, I was going to say, so I've been traveling around the world and um, visited Turkey recently, and had a chance to go to the, uh, the, the great bazaar in Istanbul. And um, one thing I could say is there are gold stores, little shops everywhere in that bazaar. I, I mean, there's countless gold, gold places. Um, I've been told by people who live there, those have increased at the expense of uh, you know spice shops and textile shops and other things which have decreased. So gold has become a huge, 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 huge thing in Turkey. Uh, Americans can't even really imagine what's going on with gold in Turkey right now. Um, and then of all the places I walked around, I can't say I saw everything in the bazaar, but I, I, I walked through a lot of different halls and corridors, one Bitcoin place to to uh, probably, you know, a hundred or more uh, gold shops along the way. Um, so, um, you know, huge opportunity there. Um, my, my spin on it would be, you have to know what you're doing and you have to know the people that you're getting involved with, you know, really well. Um, you know, there are extra hazards in these places, extra challenges, um, you know, funny laws that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Um, so do your diligence. But yeah, I mean, you, you know, if, if you're worried about overvaluation in US markets, there's, there are certainly places where there's undervaluation Um, outside the US markets, absolutely.
2: I want to touch really quickly on the crypto-verse. Do you think that the winter has set in? It seems like crypto has kind of died down a lot. Prices has obviously collapsed. There's been some scandals regarding exchanges and so forth. So do you think that the kind of crypto hype is over, that the phase is all done, that it was a low interest rate phenomenon, and now it's kind of gone? Or do you think that there might be some more kind of crypto uh, frothing on the horizon, Tavi?
0: My sense is froth as well i mean i I just you know i don't I think not a lot of businesses have substance to what they do um you know, understanding their business models is um to me, even as a younger generation investor uh very challenging um you know it's very uh appears to me you know missing a lot of um more critical thinking on how, how, uh, things will work. And that's not all the businesses. I'm just speaking more broadly. There are some that are more attractive than others. I just, I think it's an extension of the technology industry. Um, I believe AI is indeed a, a huge, uh, you know, evolutionary period for the global economy and will unleash a lot of things as well. And it's, it's going to be a true breakthrough of, of, uh, of of technological advancements, um, now crypto and and blockchain and all that, I don't know. It's just not my. Uh, I'm not as excited. I'm not seeing this as as, uh, as huge as of uh, of a uh, technological moment as as a lot of people do. But that that I mean, I'll you know take that as a, with a grain of salt because it's not my expertise either. And uh, not that I'm an expert in anything, but um, just not a something I'm really involved and and I was involved the early stages of it uh we owned Bitcoin actually back in 20 2018 or uh 2019 actually um luckily we made money on it uh clearly we didn't sell it at, at sixty thousand dollars but um you know at least I, I didn't get my my head chopped by <laughs> by the other folks at Cresket because of my views on Bitcoin at the time uh so luckily we made money on it but it's you know it was uh, I think it's potentially an alternative. I mean, crypto and Bitcoin may be all different. I'm much more attractive to gold personally. I think I think that's what central banks buy. um I'm talking about large central banks, not El Salvador um, mm-hmm. and uh <laughs> um, you know, uh it's pretty clear. Uh, I mean, history is giving us the homework. I mean, why do we need to create something different? I mean, it's it worked over the years and over centuries. And why why do I need to take a risk, all this additional risk on something that I'm not even sure it works? And so to me, it's just, you know, as when I think about risk reward and so forth, and knowing that when I go to a restaurant or a bar and I talk to people, you know, that is what most younger folks are excited about, is about crypto, not gold. As a contrarian investor, I get excited. I, I can't wait to see the day when I go to a bar and people not that I go to bars all the time, but uh that I go to a bar or a public space and people were talking about a you know uh the potential for buying a, a property that that has you know a, a, you know a uh a resource of, of, of a certain degree. And and it's just not the case today at all. I mean, people don't talk about that at all. And so to me, you know, is is a you know it's a it's telling. It's um it's another sign of why I want to be where I am, um, in terms of focus. But um I just don't uh yeah, I, I'm not excited about crypto at all. Um it's I do think it's a phenomenon caused by interest rates being so low over the years, which is kind of ironically how this all got created because the Fed has been so. You know, aggressive in terms of their monetary policy, they created their own monster. If when you think about it, but um, so um, you know, it's, it's that's how much I can share about it. I mean, I'm I'm it's not something I'm spending really any time on today.
2: Keith, I want to send it quickly your way. Cryptoverse, we kind of know some of your thoughts, but but do you think the winter is really here to stay? That the frostbite is in, and that uh, that the ice is kind of settled, or do you think there might be a, a summer on the way?
3: You know. The thing with this uh, crypto phenomenon is there, you know, there can always be another, another wave. I mean, getting the timing right is, you know, basically impossible. Um, you know, uh, Turkey is an interesting place. And I'm just going to go back to there for a minute. I know I just visited there, I was, you know, last week. Um, you know, the currency is, is in the process of a pretty rapid, um, you know, if not collapse, certainly massive devaluation. Um, I don't think their problems are over. I don't think their people think their problems are over. Of all the places where the crypto value proposition should be strong. You know, there's a lot of educated people there. Everybody has a smartphone there. It's not like, you know, people living in dirt huts, you know, or I'm sorry, grass huts with dirt floors and, you know, don't read or write or, you know, don't have access to the internet. You know, you have you have a uh, population. There's a lot of educated people there, and certainly access. to Everyone's literate and, and other things like that. And um, I've been told that everybody in Turkey would have at least 10 grams of gold. Uh, and I was talking with somebody about, you know, my thesis that um, Americans, as a culture, understand gold the least of anybody in the world. Uh, and I get to say that as an American, so I'm picking on my own. So that's that's fair. And I think I've done enough international travel to have the perspective to see that. And, you know, this, uh, uh, you know, Turk and and others there were basically confirming everybody in Turkey has gold, like everybody. If they have have any pennies to their name, you know, they would have some gold. And um, that's just how it is. And try to sell those folks. And, and, you know, while their currency is collapsing, the demand for gold is, is rising. Try to sell them Bitcoin. As I said, there was one place in the bazaar that I saw that said Bitcoin on it, and every, you know, I just took pictures of these shop windows, It's just, it's almost like something out of an epic fantasy movie, where the gold is just, like, all stacked, and, you know, all kinds of different things. It wasn't just coins and bars. You know, there were all kinds of, you know, it sort of looks like jewelry, but not the sorts that I've ever seen anybody wearing, and not even in Turkey. People are buying the stuff just to have the gold medal, um, so they understand gold, they don't uh, not that I had a lot of conversations about Bitcoin there. So I don't know. I mean, on the other hand, um, you know, there's going to be a Bitcoin ETF now. Could that drive a big rally in this price? It could, absolutely. Um, but in the end, every penny that anybody ever makes a Bitcoin comes from the next speculator's capital. One person's capitals, you know, for, one person forks over his capital. That becomes the gain or the profit of the previous speculator who's exiting. Um, and to him, it comes as a profit, and he spends part of that, and so that is fundamentally unsustainable. One can use the word pyramid. One can use the word Ponzi. Um, so, in the event, eventually, at the end, it turns to ruin. But is this the moment? Well, you know, as Yogi Berra said, predictions about the future. The um, predictions are hard, especially about the future. Um, so, uh, you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily say this is it. Obviously, the price is on a rise at the moment thirty thousand dollars you know could it be hundred and thirty thousand dollars yeah it could um but you know could could it be 30 cents yeah it could and you know and the question is when and in what order I don't know I don't think anybody knows' it's certainly not the people that are prognosticators about where Bitcoin's going to go next anybody who says oh yeah Bitcoin has to go up from here ask them what were you saying when Bitcoin was sixty nine thousand dollars because they were saying the same thing even then. You know, right before it went to sixteen. So, um, you know, if gold could go down seventy uh, percent in two decades, per what Tavi said, Bitcoin could go down seventy percent in six months, and it did. Could could it do it again from here? Absolutely, it could. Will it? I don't know. Maybe.
2: So, I want to jump on something that Tavi mentioned, which was AI. So, we, we've seen a lot of these kind of tools come out. Um, there's kind of a lot of traction with companies, chip makers, who might be, you know. Uh, one step below the AI revolution. Silver is also talked about as well because silver will be needed for chips and so on and so on. Um, So, Tavi, do you see this AI kind of revolution actually happening? Will this largely alter financial markets? Will some companies go under with Schumpeter's kind of creative destruction because of AI? Or do you maybe just see this as an interesting tool, another fad, something that will kind of slowly get incorporated to markets won't make that big of a deal the same way that, you know, 3D printing did. For a little while, everything was going to be 3D printed. Your shirt was going to be 3D printed. Your headphones are going to be 3D printed. And now it's like, uh, you know, maybe they'll 3D print a stake in 10 years. So you see AI going the way of 3D printing or is this the next big thing?
0: I think it's the next big thing. I just don't agree with buying the companies today at those valuations because they're very expensive. But I do think it's a, the next big thing. I mean, it's it's bigger than the internet, in my opinion, and it will really revolutionize a lot of things. I mean, just thinking about the biotechnology industry in general, which, by the way, is really cheap today. It's one side of the growth market that looks really cheap that could tremendously benefit from AI. Um, you know, one thing I think a lot about as well is the gap, which is, by the way, a very interesting opportunity in the market right now. You think about the what AI does to you as of today, it will it will create other features and ways to use that to enhance your business. But you know, I feel like back in the days, what internet did, let's start with the internet first, you know, really was a way where you can start a business without really uh, having a physical location. I mean, back in the '70s or so, you had to rent a place and and come up with a goods or services uh, business model that you know you would uh, you would have people working for you and and so forth. And and so you know to scale a business required a lot of capital at those times. In the internet uh, phase, it really allowed someone to start a business from you know from their garage essentially. Um, you know, in, in a way that was a lot more efficient than running a traditional business. And, you know, that created a, unlocked a lot of value and and a lot of things were created on, on, on the back of that, but you still needed to hire people and so forth. AI, in my opinion, and this is my experience using it a lot uh, as far as, you know, in my own uh, day-to-day business and so forth. I think it's almost like that perfect assistant, right? I mean, it helps you in all kind of angles when you have a question or you want to do something better, you know, you use that as your assistant. It's almost like having, you know, whatever, 100 people, 20 people, those assistants working for you, uh, rather than having to hire someone, it's, it's free, you know, it's essentially, and depending on the business, it's, you know, you're talking to software company, for instance, you know, rather than hiring 100 people to do a job, now you only need two to supervise, uh, you know, an AI. Related tool that can perhaps uh, you know help you to generate what you need in terms of a cold or whatever that is, and this goes to a lot of other things. And so you now I started thinking about that. I'm like, well, now you have an internet, and then you have you know this assistant. So now you're essentially making it much easier to launch a business. You know, way easier than it used to be in the past. Um, and then I go further on this. Well, then if you're a small company, then that should help you as well, right? I mean, the gap between a larger company that is able to scale through hiring a lot of people, and now you have a small business that is capable of of acquiring that knowledge and ability from, or skill from other, from one tool rather than hiring all those people, you know, could potentially be kind of a, you know, a real change for the potential success of a lot of companies. And so, when I see the valuation of mega cap companies versus that, you know, yes, they are the ones having access to the tools today and they're paying, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars for actually a lot more than that. But I'm talking about per, you know, depending on the, the service that they have, I think was, I think they're charging like 30 grand a, a month uh, for the NVIDIA uh, a cloud uh, a service, for instance. And, and, you know, so you can scale that over time obviously it's, you know, hundreds of millions of whatever that is or billions that they're spending on on just that alone but you know and and that access is not available for a lot of the smaller companies as of now but at some point it will be and so you know this gap between larger companies and smaller companies i'm not sure it's really sustainable and then i think even further on you know what is the issue with an emerging market and why we have today such a large uh, disparity between you know, valuations in a business here in the U.S. versus in Brazil, for instance. And, you know, clearly one of the things that is very important, yes, it's, you know, the political environment, um, you know, and I'm not saying the U.S. is is free of a lot of issues that it does have here, uh, but the corruption in in Brazil certainly is, you know, potentially you can you can certainly make an argument that it's, it's way worse than, than in the U.S. Um, that doesn't mean the U.S. doesn't have issues either. But, um, you know, and, and maybe that, that is one way you can justify the, the, the difference between the valuations between those companies. But I don't think that's the, the real reason. I think potentially where you can close a gap between those is also through AI, is also through a resource uh, space doing very well in terms of, uh, you know, a commodity led economy being really benefiting from a commodity boom market. But, you know, just AI alone with the help from small businesses and larger businesses, that could potentially happen with a lot of emerging markets. You know, one thing emerging markets don't have is, is the same quality of labor market that the U.S. does. You know, and that's, that's a problem, you know, if you're running a startup in Brazil, you will, you know, you will have that issue. You know, the, 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 the knowledge and the level of quality of those, of those employees or those workers it's certainly not in the same degree or magnitude that you have in the U.S. And so, you know, potentially with things like AI, you can close those gaps a little further. And so, you know, when I see the markets pricing things completely out of whack in terms of uh, companies in the U.S. relative to other places, you know, I get a little excited. I think this is adding to my thesis as well. So uh, that's sort of the way I see it. I, I think it's a very, very important trend. I mean, I've been, you know, believe it or not, accumulating a bunch of books about industrial revolution. I want to understand, you know, not just, uh, no, I want to understand many angles of that, of that period, uh, because I think could potentially be as big as that. I don't know, but um, so I'm, you know, I'm definitely very interested in the topic.
2: All right, Tavi, I love it. I want to take our last couple of minutes here to run through two different uh, asset classes or commodities And I want you guys to tell me, we'll start with Tavi and then go to Keith, which you think will perform better in 2023. So let's start. Uh, Our rapid fire round starts with gold versus treasuries. What do you think will perform better in 2023? Tavi, we'll start with you. Gold. Keith, I want to send it your way. Gold or treasuries,
3: 2023?
2: Gold. Okay, we have consensus. Gold from the Mm -hmm. experts. Okay, next one. Tavi, the crypto market in general versus silver as a commodity. What are you thinking?
0: Oh, I'm going with silver in this one, yeah.
3: Keith, your way. I have to say I don't really know because, you know, silver could double or triple. I do not expect to see $50 silver, certainly not 2023. Um, on the other hand, if crypto just, you know, if if the uh, shine is off, no pun intended, then, then it would be silver. You know, interestingly, I've been calling for silver to be higher. Our fundamental model is, you know, several dollars above market for for quite a while, and then uh, feeling a little vindicated to see plus what four point something percent yesterday. Um, so, uh, um, you know, I, I certainly don't think silver does badly in this environment. But you know, crypto is a giant wild card. I mean, if, if Bitcoin goes to uh, you know hundred thousand dollars, then that would outperform silver.
2: Okay. Interesting answer from Keith. All right. Next one. Emerging markets as a whole or real estate as a whole. Tavi, I want to start with you.
0: For how long? 2023? 2023. Where do you see it? Oh, I'll go emerging. Well, we have got to break down emerging markets. I'm not a big fan of China. I'm not a huge fan of India uh, for reasons because it's not a commodity led economy and, so forth, I and not a no, not a buyer of Russian assets either. So Brazil specifically, I think that would be you know a, a it had a big move recently, but I think by the end of the year we'll probably end up uh, higher than than real estate as well.
2: Keith, your way, emerging markets or real estate for twenty twenty three?
3: I think for the markets that are really yeah. emerging, and I would put Singapore and Dubai uh, on that list then absolutely uh, ahead of, uh, um, you know, certainly, you know, commercial real estate in the US. Um, If we're talking about, as Ayn Rand, uh, you know, coined a term in the 1960s, not developed, not developing, never to be developed places, some of the benighted places of the world, let alone the North Korea's, you know, DRCs, but Myanmar and places like that, then I'd say, uh, you know, real estate.
2: Okay, next one, we've got Oil, the market versus artificial intelligence, Tavi. I think I know which one you're gonna say, but maybe you'll surprise us. Oil versus AI in
0: 2023. Oil. Yeah, I'm gonna go stay with oil. Um, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's that's to me that's an easy, uh, you know, easy meaning uh, conviction-wise. Not not that I know what's gonna happen, but that's just my strong opinion. Keith your way oil versus
2: AI who do you think takes 2023
3: I think I think AI I and mean, I would just add to that that um, you know investing in AI today is kind of like investing in the internet in 1996 you know at that time you know if you wanted to place your bets would it be Lycos Alta Vista Yahoo I mean, what were the internet companies at that time um, you know like cars in 1902 Stanley steamer you know it seemed pretty promising. At that time, you know, would you have picked, uh, um, uh, it wasn't even General Motors at that time, I mean, Ford was there, would you have picked them maybe? Um, you know, I think, I think a lot of good things can happen out of AI as a technology without necessarily the companies that are the leading names today commanding for us evaluations necessarily uh, proving to be worth the investment or even surviving. Um, but I'm not bullish on oil, so I'd have to pick AI.
2: Okay, Tavi, back to you. We've got Brazil versus Argentina. I think we know where you're going with it, but let's hear it anyways. Brazil versus Argentina for 2023. Who do you have, Tavi?
0: Um, Tough one, that one, because I think Argentina is just a high-risk version of Brazil. So if Brazil does really well, Argentina could outperform. I do think that the risk might not be you know, I I, I risk-reward, I prefer Brazil. That's a tough one, though. I, I think if I'm right about Brazil in a large way, I could see other, you know, smaller markets. Um, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I just mean uh, Brazil is a, it's a bigger market today. And I I could see it underperforming Argentina. So, but if, if you ask me where I would invest my money today, I would put my money on Brazil just because I feel much safer uh, geopolitically speaking uh, personally, but that's just my view.
2: Keith, I want to send it to you, Brazil or Argentina in 2023, who do you see?
3: I'm, I'm certainly no expert in um, South American economies, although I do have some um, relatives in, in Argentina, and the only thing I can say is Argentina has such an incredible basket case, they have capital controls right now, um, I mean, it's such a mess. And I'm not sure I see that really improving. So for that reason, I'd have to say Brazil.
2: Okay, we're going to start with the BRICS countries. You're going to take them all against each other. You've got Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. Tavi, who do you think's currency performs best in 2023, barring any uh, gold-backed you know, BRICS uh, currency in August 22nd? Uh, who do you think of the BRICS does the best in 2023?
0: Brazil and I think that for FX trade, I, I actually think Brazil relative to the Chinese yuan is looks really attractive as a trade. Um, I think it's a you know three to five year uh, kind of development I think could could work very well, uh, meaning I think the Brazilian currency can you know strongly outperform the Chinese currency over time.
2: Keith, your way, which of the BRICS currencies do you think performs best in 2023? I know it's a relative game, but we want to hear. Who do you got?
3: So if we look at, if we look at all of those, and including South Africa, as the and BRICS, which I guess is the, the current um, a la mode, um, South Africa looks like it's on the precipice of collapse. Um, so that's really bad. Russia, I can't imagine anybody bullish right now, no matter how the war goes. That's a mess. Um, I've been saying for a long time, anybody with any degree of wealth in China is desperately seeking to dump the yuan and buy dollars and risking their lives to do so. It's illegal. And they do it anyway. Um, so um, India is another perpetual basket case that always has so much potential. That is, you know, there's a lot of really smart people there. But the systems, institutions, you know, the, the law, the government is such a mess um, that I would, uh, by default say Brazil as, uh, the greatest potential.
2: Okay. That ends our lightning round. Tavi, I want to ask you two quick questions. First, what is a question I should be asking all future guests of the gold exchange podcast?
0: That's a tough question. That's a very good question, by the way, from you. Um, you know, I think would see my mind a lot that I, I would, uh, press people on that because it's um um i I feel i feel like narratives change and and just because you know short-term data will will kind of manipulate your your views a lot of times uh it was easy to be in inflation camp a year ago and uh i think right now very few people will stick you know with their views and say, yeah, I still think this is an inflationary regime. And I think that's a very important question because if we are or not in a structural inflationary environment because it it changes the correlations of, you know, across assets and it will, you know create different opportunities. And so depending on how someone answers that question, I think and, and the, the level of, of death on, on answering that, uh, particular question i think would uh, you would uh, be able to get a lot of insights on you know what could potentially be ahead and you know, my answer would be yes we're in an inflationary environment i'm sticking with it i mean i've even uh, tweeted before and said look you know very likely we're going to go through waves now was the guy who put the waves chart the first and second and third wave of of the 70s and you know looked in the 40s as well and my opinion, this is, you know, this is, uh, this is very, um, you know, entrenched in in the global economy. So, I would think this is not going to go away. The underlying issues have not been resolved, you know, whatever if it's, uh, uh inequality or or the the chronic on investments in in, in uh, natural resource companies, the reckless amount of fiscal spending, and and also the deglobalization trends. To me, that's really what's going to continue to drive inflation higher over time, or at least historically higher, and and that will affect cost of capital, will affect other things like the treasury market uh, differently, and and the correlation between a lot of assets, and create opportunities maybe in emerging markets or commodities and and other things. And so, the, to me, that you know that is the most important question out there. Some people answer it with AI, saying you know now. I've changed my opinion. AI has, you know, drastically changed the outcome of inflation and so forth. You know, I think it could be, but no, I, I still think that the other underlying issues are perhaps a lot more relevant than than this, you know, um, you know, very early stage technology uh that is still to prove itself over time. And I think it will, but um, yeah, so that's that would be my question.
2: Tavi, where can people find more of your work if they want to see more about Crescat Capital? Where can they find you and the company?
0: They can find me on Twitter at Tavi Costa. um, And they can find the website of the company at um, Crescat.net is our website. and We have a lot of letters and research there where you can find anything about our our, investment strategies and so forth.
2: Tavi, thank you so much for joining us on the Gold Exchange Podcast.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: This episode was brought to you by Monetary Metals. Monetary Metals is a different kind of gold company. Others buy and sell gold. Monetary Metals operates the Gold Yield Marketplace, a platform of products that offer a yield on gold paid in gold to investors and institutions, and our gold financing simplified, reliable financing denominated in gold with a built-in hedge for gold-using and gold-producing businesses. To learn more, visit www.monetary-metals.com. See you next time!